it's a great blessing to be here with you guys this morning and to be able to partake of this day where we get to celebrate and get to see the commitment made that by, by Brad, Grace, and Terry as they step out in obedience to God's command of being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, today I'm going to be speaking for a little bit, then I'm going to ask each person up as I sort of speak, because what I'm speaking about today is what I call the beauty of the gospel. Now for those who don't uh, usually come here to this church or haven't seen it online, what we've been doing over the last several weeks are looking at some very familiar Bible verses, a lot of Bible verses that Christians would most probably know. Uh, I, Aaron, for example, spoke from Isaiah 55, verse 7 and 8, when God says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways, as high as the heavens are from the earth. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. Something that a lot of Christians actually know, and they apply to life. Uh, Chris, before that, spoke from Lamentations 3, when, he, when it talked about how God's great faithfulness and how his mercies are new every morning. Last week, I looked at the commission that God gives all Christians as a church to go out into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, which we're doing today in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And, and today, I want to do the, a similar sort of thing. I want to take a very familiar verse, which a lot of people would probably know without actually knowing. Um, if, now, I'm, I'm, I'm an old wrestling fan back in the days when it was called the WWF. And there was always in the crowd, when you watch WrestleMania, when you sort of watch The Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, and I'm just sort of dating myself and how old I am now, um, but have all the, like, uh, the, the British Bulldogs. They had two Kiwi wrestlers called the, the Bushwhackers, which were just, they were real, real fools, really. You know, they, they just didn't look very good. But when watching those guys, they would always have someone that would hold up a sign in the crowd that would say, John 3.16. John 3.16. And essentially what John 3.16 is, is what a lot of people call the gospel in a nutshell. Why it's called the gospel in a nutshell is because it holds every aspect, the whole truth of what the gospel is. So I want to start off by, by looking at this today and sort of breaking down the beauty that is held within the single verse in the Bible. Now when someone says gospel, if you want a sort of basic meaning of the word, it just means this, good news. That's what the word gospel means. It just means good news. That's it. But I find it interesting that when people want to sort of prove the legitimacy of something or the illegitimacy of something, they'll say, like, hey, don't take that as gospel. You know, like I once had here, gospel truth. I once had here. That's gospel. Or like, you know, I, I had long flowing locks. Don't take that as gospel because I'm an islander. I just had an afro. Okay. So we use this word gospel to describe the legitimacy or the illegitimacy of something. When all it means is good, is good news. So today, we're going to look at this one Bible verse. I'm going to read it to you. We're going to open a word of prayer, and then we're going to break it down as to what the gospel, what this good news means for us, not only as people, but as the world. So I'll read it for you now. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and the new king james it says everlasting life so just want to bow your heads let's pray very quickly as we commit this time to god father i thank you so much for the good news thank you lord that even in this world of darkness in this world of hardship in this world of war we can still have good news 
found in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray you'll help us today, no matter who we are, no matter what we believe, Father, that you might focus our minds and our attention onto your truths now, on your son, Jesus Christ, as you reveal yourself to us, not only through your word, but through the testimonies of our brothers and sister here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the gospel. The gospel, we'll start off with these two words. The gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16, starts off with this. For God. Everybody say that. Come on, Ellie. With, with, with everybody, please. Everyone say it one more time. Ready? And I don't know what you believe about God. I don't know whether you believe he exists or not. I don't know what you believe about his existence or not or or whatever it is, whatever your views are on who God is, or the Christian God, or the biblical God, I don't know what your view is. But regardless of what your view is, does nothing to diminish the fact that he exists. Okay? I want you to get that. For example, my brothers, I have five brothers and a sister. My brothers have never met Brad. But just because they've never met him, doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Like I can talk about Brad, I know this bush man that lives on a farm in Borkham Hills. Okay? <laughs> I know this bushman, he goes fishing, and he videos it, you know, and, and, and things like this, and he catches, like, fish that are, he says are this big, but in reality are only this big. Yeah, I could, I could say all this stuff about, about Brad to my brothers and, and sister, and they could sit there and say, I don't believe this guy exists, Joe. But it doesn't matter what they say about what they believe about him, the fact is he's there. The fact is I know him personally. Now you can sit there and say, well, but Joe... I can see Brad, I can smell Brad, and I have touched, I can't smell Brad, okay, but I can touch Brad, hence I know that he's real, like, I haven't seen God, I haven't felt God, I haven't touched him, so then how can I know God exists? Well, the reality is this, you've never seen my parents, but you know they exist, why? Because I'm here. You don't, you don't have to see my parents, it's what's called an axiom. An axiom. An axiom is called a self-evident truth. You don't need to see the source of something, the source of something, to know that something existed. For example, we didn't see these guys build this building we're in here today. We didn't see them, but we know that they were here. Why? Because the evidence is around us. The evidence shows us that there were builders who put this building together for us. So it is with God. Now, we haven't seen him, but we see the evidence of him all around us. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In a fancy way, that's saying when you look around the world today, you look at the complexities of what life is, then you know for a fact that this couldn't have, I mean, you can, you can choose to believe that, but couldn't have just happened by chance. Uh, a design points to what? A designer. When something is made, it points to what? That there was a maker. That's just basic logic. And that's something that a lot of us sort of try to, to wrestle with because yeah, you look around, the, the beauty of a sunset, the, a starlight, starlight night, the, the joys, the joys of loving and being loved of when you look into your partner's eyes and think, oh, I mean, look, 
Brad, Brad and, and Cass did the pre-marriage course with Jono and Chris, which guaranteed them. Hey, how long have you been married now? Oh, dude, come on, man. Like, how, how long have you been married? Almost, almost, almost nine months. So, so far, that marriage course has helped them with nine months of marriage. You know? And, and for, for me, as Cass celebrates... But we look around, you have these joys. There's, there's a great atheist thinker by the name of Bertrand Russell, and he couldn't, he couldn't wrestle with this. He couldn't solve this. He said, he said, I couldn't figure out why I have this longing to love and be loved. Why I have this longing to belong, to, to have someone to embrace me. Bertrand Russell, for everything that he tried to explain God away, he couldn't reach a conclusion as to why he wanted to devote himself to one person and have one person devote themselves to him. Why? Because that's found in who God is. And you look at such evidence, and say, for example, in, in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, it says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. It says this, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You look at what God is like, you look at his heart, you see it around you every day. You see it around you every day. Even with all the darkness, even with all the hardship, even with all the war that is going on, you look at the beauty of a sunset, you see how God has designed that for you to enjoy. You look at the nature and, and the, the beauty of a sea and the, the beauty of a, a wonderful scene. That's, that's God showing himself to you, saying, this is how I want to show you how much I love you. Now, I, I didn't write this down, but when I look at stuff that's going on in the Ukraine, when I look at the... Just the brutality, I saw a tank run over a car with people still in it. It was one of the worst things. People recording it just crying as they look at this. And people say, well, how can you say that God is real when there's stuff like this going on? There's a, a French philosopher. No, I'm not big into French philosophy. But there's a French philosopher who said this. Uh, his name was Teilhard de Chardin. That's about the place I can get to saying French stuff. Okay, but he said this. He said how we, we are, uh, are not physical beings in search of a spiritual experience we are spiritual beings partaking of a physical experience which basically means this that you are created for more than this life you are made for more than what you see here and now you're created for eternity why because for god wanted to reveal himself to you personally the knowledge of what is around us, the intricacies of life's design, not only point to his existence, but point to what he's like, because those first two words are followed by the next two words. It says, for God so loved. Everyone say, so loved. For God so loved. God is love, we're told in 1 John 4, 8. It is not something he does, although that's what he does do. He does love, but we are told that that is his nature, that he is love. Um, Henry Blackaby, and I've, I've shared this with other people before, Henry Blackaby says that God cannot express himself other than as a perfect expression of perfect love. God can't help but express himself perfectly. And that, for, that just means this. When someone expresses themselves perfectly as an expression of love, that means when they get angry, that, angry, that anger is a loving anger. That when there's a, a jealous, because we're told that he's a jealous God, that that is a love motivated by love. When there's a wrath, that is a, a wrath motivated by love. Now, I'm not talking about the obsessive type, stalking type thing, okay? 
This is what a genuine love, genuine beneficial love is. See, love has to be taken into account because the world's definition of love today, the way we see love, the way the media provides love or portrays love, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sweating horrendously right now. Thank you so much. That's the only problem I don't like using the tissues to wipe my sweat because I've got a bald head. It sticks to my head. So if I have, if I have little specks of tissue, please tell me. I don't want to. Okay. See, often the way love is portrayed is this, this schmaltzy, warm, fuzzy, la-di-da emotionalism that gets the heart beating fast when you see someone, that causes the palms to get sweaty when they sit next to you or anything like that. People are like, what's wrong with you, Joe? But that's okay. Okay? rather than the genuine love that God speaks about here. When I read about a God who loves me, a God who loves you, it's not with that schmaltzy, la-di-da emotionalism. It's an, it's an all-encompassing. It is a self-sacrificial. It is a benevolent-looking, thank you so much, Chris, a benevolent, <laughs> now I feel like Elvis. Okay, so that goes beyond our limited perceptions and understanding of what we think love is. See, God is the fulfillment and the perfect expression of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8, which is commonly known as the love chapter. God is the perfect expression of this. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. This is the love that God expresses to us, and the ultimate expression of that love is given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the thing is this, if love is described in such a way, then the question you have to ask is, toward whom? This expression of love goes toward whom? Toward whom is love kind? Is, is love patient? Toward whom that it's not jealous or envious of? Toward whom? And this is where we start to look at some of these testimonials, because when we read... In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Everyone say the world. God loved the world. When we speak of the world, we automatically look at things from a global scale. Uh, the global financial crisis, the global pandemic. And we often look at the impersonal nature of such a word. But it does nothing to diminish the greatness of God's love toward you toward the individual, toward the little child that grabs your leg and says, Dad, Mom, can you help me? The, the elderly gentleman that's having trouble remembering things, the, 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 the married couple that are going through difficulties and arguing over, over various situations. It does nothing to diminish the love for every person, for each individual. We're told in the Bible that he knows every hair of every person's head personally. We are told in the Bible that he knew you from when you were in the womb. We are told in the Bible that he has made you marvelously and wonderfully and he invests into you because you're made in his image. Why? Because he loves you. Each one of you here, each, one, each person out there, regardless of whether they accept him or reject him, does nothing to diminish his love for them. That's why he had to use the world. 
Because he wanted to, it's an all-encompassing, beneficial love, which means this, that when we get to hear a story, for example, I'm going to ask Brad to come up here and share his story about how he experienced that same love, and that every hair on his head and on his face has been counted, and God knows each one of them individually, because he loves him personally. So please, put your hands together. It sounds like, hey, put your hands together. Make my brother feel welcome as Brad comes up and shares his story. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Joe. I'm looking forward to jumping into that kiddie pool with you later. I hope the water, hope you, hope you, hope you filled it up with enough water. Um, okay. So today I'm being baptized as I'd like to publicly declare that I'm a child of God and follower of Jesus Christ. I feel whole and complete thanks to the love and goodness of God. I've seen this love and goodness in every aspect of my life, from meeting my wife Cass and getting married with great timing before the lockdown last year, to purchasing our first home and to giving me strength and peace in the workplace. I've learned that I can have peace in all situations and that I can have the perseverance to endure through any circumstance as I know God is with me. I trust in God that he provides all that I need so that I no longer spend my time chasing after my own desires. Before I decided to live for Christ, things were kind of similar on the surface. I still had a job, some cars, a roof over my head, but on the inside I was very different. I was worried and fearful for the future. I placed my hope in futile things and ultimately lived for myself. I had no idea if things were going to work out for my good. And on top of that, I didn't have that many close friends, nor did I think I had much of an ability to talk to people. But God has allowed me to overcome worries and fear. I know that I don't have to and shouldn't have control over everything because our Creator is in control, and He will provide all that I need. In chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks on this matter. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by warring add a single hour to your life? This is one of many passages that reassures me that there is nothing in this world that can provide for us like God can. If he feeds the birds of the air and dresses the flowers of the field in splendor, how much more does he care about us? And I've also seen God's love exhibited through my GCC family, as well as the wider church. So now I have heaps of friends that I can rely on day and night. To me, there is no greater evidence of the loving, comforting, and gracious nature of God than knowing that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there to, who are there to support me through life's many seasons. Another aspect of God's work in my life is in the way that I have become more outgoing, or some would say extroverted. I'm no longer itching to do things on my own. Instead, I can't wait to spend time with others. So I'm very glad that, this, that so many of you could join me here today. Who's who else is happy to be here? <laughs> Just a few people? Yeah. And finally, the greatest gift of all is knowing that God loved people like you and me so much that he sent his only son to die for us while we were still sinners. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So it's a no-brainer that I'd want to live for Christ after all that he has done for us. Thank you.
That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that, Brad. What I like, it actually goes on, firstly, so I got, for God so loved the world, these three words, these are followed by these three words, which is what Brad expressed in his testimony now. That he gave. Everyone say that. That he gave. For Brad, it was giving him security. It was giving him purpose. It's giving him peace, regardless of the situation. Like, God didn't give him his wife, although he did bless him with a wife. Okay, but that he gave. Because this is one of the greatest, I guess you could say, explanations of what genuine love does. Love gives. Love gives. Love cannot. There's uh, Amy Carmichael who's, who said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. And, and that's the reality of, of, of how love is others-focused. Love looks for the benefit of others. And we need to keep that in mind, that love continually gives generously while lust. You see, when you look in the world today, and when you look on the media, when you look at music, when you look at magazines, when you, when you look online, the way love is portrayed is what you get for yourself in the relationship. I, it's like what I said, Janet Jackson, uh, What Have You Done For Me Lately was a very old song from the 80s and 90s. What have you done for me lately? And that itself, I think, is a good description of how a lot of the world portrays what love is. You say you love me, what have you done for me lately? You say you care for me, well, what have you done for me lately? Where love looks at what I want to do for you. Lust always takes selfishly. Love gives generously. Lust always takes for one's own self-gratification. Love always gives for the benefit of others. That's how you know what love is. If you, I remember doing this example at school. Sandy would probably remember this. But if you've got a guy coming up to you, if you ladies, a guy coming up saying, hey, baby, love you, come on, baby, give me a kiss, baby, I love you, I love you, please, baby, please, baby, baby. And you're like, oh, no, stop it, stop, stop, stop. And the dude says, oh, baby, love me. No, he's not loving you. He's lusting on you. Because if you say no, and he doesn't respect that, he's trying to take for his own personal gratification, his own satisfaction. He's not loving on you. He's lusting on you. And like I told Sandy back in high school, I was like, boot, get rid of him. Get rid of him. That's why Sandy's got a good man now in Ray. Hey, Ray. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. That, 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 okay, that was when she was in year seven. I've known her since year seven. Okay. So please. Anyway. Anyway. But that's what love does. Love gives for the benefit of others. And if you look in this verse, we've got that he gave. Now we've, we're getting longer words. His one and only son. Everybody say that. Meaning this, love gives the best it has to offer. Love gives the best that it has to offer. The best God could give for you as being the world that he loves was himself, was his son, Jesus Christ. In the old King James, it says his only begotten son. And why that word begotten is so important, meaning begotten as in the likeness of, in the same likeness of. That's what begotten means. Like my only begotten, my, my son, my son, Nathaniel, all right? Um, I, he went with me to school one day, and all the teachers were there just said, we know whose dad yours. Yeah, we know who your dad is. We know who your dad is, because it's just my son apparently is a far better version of me. Okay? And he has hair. So it was really, it was really interesting seeing how that, that, why he's, he is my son. You can tell he's my son because of the large ears, because of the shape of the head, because of the big nose, the, the, the brown skin, all that sort of stuff. And people just knew, you're Joe's son. Why? Because he's begotten. 
of me. So it is with Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what he gave the best that he had to offer to make God, who for a lot of us have up here, this mystical being that, that, that lives transcended above the universe. What Jesus Christ did was make God personal for us was make God real for us. He contextualized everything that God is in the person of Jesus Christ so that people would know, whether it be the youngest of children, whether it be the outcasts of society, whether it be the religious leaders of the day, they would come to know who God is in Jesus Christ. We are told in John chapter one that he declares who God is, the very nature of God. You wanna know, you wanna know how, how God has a heart for people? Well, then you look at the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know how God deals with little children? You look at how Jesus dealt with children. You want to know how God dealt with hypocrites? Well, then you look at how Jesus dealt with hypocrites. You want to know how God deals with elderly people? You look at how Jesus dealt with elderly people. You want to know how God dealt with outcasts? You look at how Jesus dealt with outcasts. That love and that compassion and that mercy of who God is is reflected in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why when you read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, while we didn't want anything to do with him, while we had turned our backs on him, God sent his, love, his son for us. God commended his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel of how God loved me so much, he gave me the best he had to offer. And that best that he had to offer in his son, Jesus Christ, is I want to invite my next person up. Grace, if you make you feel welcome, please, brothers and sisters, who's going to come and share her testimony as well, please. There you go, Grace. Hello, my name is Grace, and I was brought up in a Christian family going to church and youth group every week growing up in, yeah. So in 2009, I went to a youth camp called Kick with a youth group um, where we study the book of Ecclesiastes. I was confronted with the idea that the writer of the book explored that life was ultimately meaningless. And hearing this and finding out that life doesn't have to be that way, I decided that I too agree that life would be meaningless unless I was created for a purpose. Having been brought up somewhat knowing the gospel of Jesus, I decided to commit my life to God and let him use me for his purposes. So I prayed the prayer of accepting Jesus into my life and along with the speaker at Kick, that Jesus would reside in me and that from then on I would live my life whatever I do for the purposes of worshipping and glorifying him because only my creator would be able to tell me what I was created to do. So I came back from camp, back home to continue life going to high school. I was in year nine at the time and I started talking with Jesus every day, asking him that I, he would use me and be with me. I would really feel that Jesus was walking alongside me and I started telling my friends about Jesus, sometimes even bringing the Bible to school to tell them about Christianity. Um, Jesus had become to me someone who walks by me daily, a relational and intimate friend to me. Since then, God has taught me many things through each season of my life, from experiencing family and relational conflicts to dealing with transitions from school to uni, uni to work, being single to being married, working full-time, being unable to work at all, living with my parents to living with my husband. My God is also not a God who is far and doesn't understand all that we go through in life because he lived and died on earth to demonstrate his love for us. I heard a pastor once say that prayer should be our first resource and not our last resort. So no matter what we're doing, whether at home or at work, at church, 
Having a relational God and Father in heaven meant that he's always there for me to turn to. Becoming a Christian meant that I recognized that I was created for a purpose, that I have gone far away from that purpose, and that through Christ I have been reminded of my purpose once again, and he has made a way by which I can fulfill that purpose. Humans were created in God's image and made to worship God and live life as a testimony to him. He's with us no matter what season of life we're going through. He's our creator, our savior, our, he's constant and he never changes. He's perfect and he's our father. He grows me and continues to demonstrate his love and grace to me. His plans are better than any plan that I can ever make for myself. And he's the one who paid my ransom and paid the price for my sin. So today I'm going to get baptized and to declare again that my life is his and for him to use his glorious purpose for the edification of his church and the glory of his name. And to finish off my testimony, here's a verse from 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, to remind me of my identity in times of doubt and weariness. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for that, Grace. That's the, ooh, see, that's what, that's what I find amazing, okay? Because we have his one and only son, and the next two words says this, says this. We've got, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. These two words, that whosoever, everyone say that. That whosoever, whether the mountain man from Borkham Hills, whether the Asian girl from a Christian home, whether a, a, a Polynesian guy from a non-Christian home, wherever, that whosoever, there's no set, set criteria as to who God will accept or God who will not accept or anything like that. There's, there's no criteria about who would come to him. That if you come to him humbly as we hear from Brad and, and as we hear from Grace, that we are told in the Bible, he will no wise cast out. See, she is now, as she says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, she is part of this, this royal priesthood. She is part of this holy nation, this, this, this chosen generation, this, this people belonging to God in a world where people are looking for identity or looking for purpose or looking for their whole meaning of why they are here that is all found in Jesus Christ. And the reason why we also spend so many times going around and around and around is because we can't or we choose to. There's a, a family member of mine when he was telling me, he was telling me about his life and how life is going and, and what's going on in life. And, and he, he's trying a whole bunch of different things to give himself meaning. And I says to him, hey, bro, um, sorry, because yeah, from New Zealand, we always say that. I says, hey, bro, I says, why are you leaving God out of this? Just out of curiosity, why are you leaving God out of this? And he was open and honest with me to say, because there are things that I want to do that I know God wouldn't agree with. So it had nothing to do with him like having difficulty believing in God's existence. It had everything to do with him choosing to live how he wanted. That's all it came down to. But it's that whosoever believes in him 
one's age or gender, one's career choice, cultural heritage, one's family background, one's social standing, or even one's specific worldview means absolutely nothing when it comes to making a stand or being able to stand as acceptable, acceptable before the living God. As many excuses that we want to come up with, ultimately it comes down to, I choose not to believe because... I choose not to accept because. You can have, there's a, a Christian physicist that held, a, 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 I think it was like a Nobel Prize in physics, a Christian guy. And then you have a non-Christian guy, an atheist actually, who held the same position as well in the following years. So you have two very intelligent men, both in the same field of science, and so their, I guess you could say their battle or their conflict that they had was not due to a, a conflict of science because they were in the same scientific field. What the conflict came about was their philosophical worldview. One chose to look at life and interpret it from God's non-existence and the other chose to look at it through the eyes of God's existence but they were, neither of them were considered dumb or ignorant or anything like that. Neither of them would acknowledge that because that was completely false. All it came down to was them choosing to hold a specific worldview that was contrary to each other, which challenges us, which challenges us. Do we hold on to our worldviews? When we hear Brad speak, when we hear Grace speak, do we hold on to our worldviews because of our own personal bent, not because of any legitimate evidence, not because of anything else, but because we want to hold on to our particular view. We need to be honest enough to ask ourselves that. There was a, a wonderful young man that, that Sandy knows as well, uh, and, and young John knows. And I remember when he came to the church once and I was talking with him, and his big issue was with the Bible. And he says, I don't agree with the Bible, Joe. And he goes, and he said, I reckon because of this, this, this. And he gave me a whole bunch of arguments as to why he chose not to believe the Bible. And I says to him, hey, bro, <laughs> sorry, but I says, hey, bro, do you, do you critique every other historical sort of document in the same manner that you do the Bible? Just out of curiosity. And he had the intellectual integrity to tell me, no, I don't. I'm a lot harsher on the Bible because there are things in the Bible that I don't like. That's why. And I really appreciated his honesty for that. And I said, thank you so much for that. At least you're honest. At least, you know, so even he held a, his own personal double standard. So you've got to ask yourself this, do I hold a double standard? Do I hold my own double standard when it comes to the things of God? Because there are things in the Bible that I choose not to believe or I want to deny because I don't want to do this. Um, Aldous Huxley, another non-Christian guy, he said this, I want there not to be a God. He said, I want there not to be a God because then it frees me up to my own desires. And he was, he was intellectually honest regarding that. So I've come across a number of people discussing a number of different things when it comes to the beauty of this gospel, this good news that tells you that, yes, you can know purpose. Yes, you can know life. Yes, you can know direction. Yes, you can know peace. And it is available to everybody that whosoever believes in him, and we are told in the final part of this verse, all right, will not perish but have everlasting life. And before I go on to that, I want to ask my last friend, Terry. Terrence, can you please come forward? Make him feel welcome as he shares about the everlasting life that he has received.
Thank you, Terence. Thanks, Joe. Um, I started learning about Christianity and who God was when I attended religious education classes during high school. It wasn't until my close friend Kieran, who's actually here today, he brought me to his youth group, followed by a church service, that I actually paid some attention to, paid some attention to study about Jesus and sing songs of worship and listen to a sermon. At this time, I really didn't know who Jesus was. I just thought Christianity was some religion with a God like many other religions, and this particular religion had a seemingly important central figure called Jesus, who I didn't know at the time and wasn't that interested in. When I started dating my now wife, Grace, during our university years, she would tell me about her faith in Christianity and bring me to church and Bible study. I felt that this Christianity thing had come up again. And for my, for my close friend and now for my girlfriend to tell me about him, I thought I should give it a bit more attention. At the time, I viewed it as something that religious people do, trying to bring other people to church to believe in their religion. Initially, I rolled along with it. But as my relationship with grace developed, I felt that my relationship with Jesus also started to develop. I didn't want to lie to Grace, and for a long time I would say I didn't fully believe in Jesus and Christianity, so I couldn't call myself a Christian. This continued for a few years during our dating life, and I always felt held back from calling myself a Christian despite learning more and more about Jesus because of my doubts and questions. The usual questions that non-Christians would ask were still there, such as, what makes this religion more real than any other religion? Well, sure, this religion has credible history, but all the supernatural aspects seem unbelievable, especially if they happened so long ago, and why don't we see any of it, any of it happening today? Many people told Grace that she should stop dating me because I was not a Christian and that our different values would make it difficult for our future. But God continued to pursue me through her despite all of this. By now, it had become a habit for me to turn, attend church and Bible study weekly, and I began to see uh, I began to see God working through many of my Christian brothers and sisters as they shared deep personal aspects of their life and how Jesus was working in their life with me. This really drew me closer to building my own faith. My doubts and questions were still there, but I realized that I will always have questions and doubts. I always thought to myself, what is stopping me from believing or calling myself a Christian? I thought I had to physically see Jesus in person and actually doing his miracles to believe in him. But I realized that he's already done all of this and that it has been recorded in the Bible. I really realized that he's working through all of these Christian brothers and sisters who are so different from anyone else. I could feel Jesus' sacrificial love and kindness through my Christian brothers and sisters and feel their kindness towards me. And I understood that they wouldn't behave this way if they hadn't wanted to share this good news of God's love with me. Gradually, I began to accept that Jesus is more than just a person who did miracle things in the past, but rather, he's working through so many people right now, inspiring them and changing them to become closer to him and more like him. I began to be able to tell my Christian brothers and sisters about how I experienced Jesus working in my own life and how I want my non-Christian friends and family to eventually experience and come to know him too. To be baptized today in front of everyone here, I want to give praise to God and show outwardly the change and faith within me that I want to share with everyone and publicly declare my commitment to follow Jesus, especially in my marriage with my wife. To quote Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry. Give us a hand. We are told, as Terry is the recipient of everlasting life, as Brad is the recipient of it, grace, and most everybody here that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are recipients of eternal life. And the reason why we're here today to celebrate the stand and this confession of their faith today publicly is so that the people that they love, their family and their friends, they want you to see the transformation that God has made in each of their lives as well. Because we are told that whosoever believes in him, not in going to church, but in Jesus, not in doing good works, but in Jesus, not in giving to charity, but in Jesus, in him you receive everlasting life. In him you receive the forgiveness of sin. The whole point, the whole point of Jesus coming, born of a virgin, living a perfect sinless life, crucified and nailed to a cross to take upon himself your sin and my sin was done so that we could have the opportunity to have a direct line to God the Father. He rose from the dead three days later. He rose from the dead three days later, proving that everything he taught, everything he said was legitimate. The historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a gentleman by the name of Chris North, who's the head of the history department in Macquarie University. He came to the school and he said to a bunch of year 12 students, year 11 and 12 students at Borkham Hills High, and he said to them, any historian, any historian worth their salt, worth their salt, all confess and admit that Jesus Christ was real, that Jesus Christ lived, that Jesus Christ died, and that Jesus Christ allegedly rose from the dead. Any historian worth their salt all agree to that. The question is now for all of us here, what are you going to do with that? It's not due, and I, I remember one preacher saying this, a person's choice to believe is not due to the lack of, of evidence. There's more than enough evidence, whether it be the heavens and the, sky and the sunrise, whether it be the love and the emotions that you have, whether it be the historical evidence. See, it's not the lack of evidence that stops us. It is our willingness to suppress that evidence. So it's whether we, all of us, no matter who, whether Christian or non-Christian, what we are going to do with this person called Jesus Christ, who loved you, who gave himself for you, who rose from the dead for you and invites you to come to know himself as Lord and as Savior. As we are told, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, any one of you, believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the beauty of of the gospel. So I'm going to pray. What we're going to do, we're going to sign off online very soon after I pray. And then we're going to actually move our way to our, our nice little swimming pool that we have in the front area and where we'll uh, talk about. So what's going to happen is this. I'll just explain very, very briefly. Um, while the others are getting changed, um, we'll stand there, sort of, sort of crowd around. No offense to any of the um, 
people of GCC, but if you could sort of stand at the back and let all the guests come in closer, because if there is a splash, when Brad goes in, it'll be the guests that get wet. We should put a splash zone around there, a splash zone around the thing, okay? But um, so yeah, that, that's what we're going to be doing there. Um, so it'll give us a few minutes before we get things sorted out. And what will happen is I'll be asking, so I'll stand in the pool first. I'll be asking each person individually several questions to which they'll respond. They'll invite them in, and then we'll, we'll carry on with the baptizing, okay? But if you have any questions about what you've heard today, if you had any questions about Terry and Grace's testimony or be sorry, I always call him B-Rad, Brad's testimony, please ask. Come and ask me. Come and ask any of the people within GCC. If you've got questions, don't go here just like, ah, another silly religious talk, whatever it might. Don't, don't, come and talk. Come and talk. I would love to be able to talk with you about these things. I would love to dialogue with you. If you like, I can give you my number. You can call me and abuse me with text later. I don't know, but we can talk about things. I would love to be able to dialogue with you about this sort of stuff, okay? So with that, let me close in a word of prayer, and then we'll start moving over because I need to go get changed as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us the best that you had to offer. And that what he done on the cross for us was enable us the avenue, the ability, the capacity to come before you now and say, Abba, Father, to address you personally. We thank you for how he took upon himself our sin, how he sacrificed himself, and that in his death, we have the opportunity to have life. And that you rose again, bringing to light that everything you said was 100% true. Father, I pray that you will help each heart here, that you will stir within each heart here, whether they know you or not, that you'll stir each person's individual heart to, to want to know you more. I pray that you will bless each person today. And as we celebrate the baptism of our brothers and sisters this morning, that you will be glorified above all. So we thank you. We praise you, and we ask you to dismiss us now. In Jesus' name, amen.